0: you get What's that? Going? I'm oh. so Also, ich verstehe nur Bahnhof. You only understand Train Station? It's all Greek to me.
1: Understanding Train Station. Living between cultures with Josh and Feli.
2: Welcome back everyone.
0: Welcome back to a new episode of Understanding Train Station. I'm Feli.
2: And I'm Josh.
0: We decided are we to gonna, do the short intros. I was gonna say I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna do a short intro every time, right. no. A lot of people actually had an opinion on that. I was very really? surprised that yeah, did you read the comments? I didn't haven't, haven't no,
2: had- I haven't seen that.
3: So a lot of
0: people commented on that part of the podcast where we were like, oh, we're not sure about how to do the intro. And a lot of people were like, you should do this. You should do this. Or you should just like they actually gave us uh, like a wording for the intro. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. Thank you guys for that. (laughs) Yeah. But I think we're just going to stick with saying our names. A lot of people also said that that's not even necessary because they know us by now. But anyway... Um, exactly. We're back with a new episode. Exactly. <laughs> you <Gino>. <laughs> Oh, my gosh.
2: I don't even realize it. It's so bad. But yeah, we're back with a new episode this week, which I'm super excited about because we have another guest. And I think the yes. guest episodes are my favorite. And I think also the favorite of a lot of the listeners as well.
0: Yeah. And it had been a while just because, you know, logistics, the guests that we wanted to have on the podcast didn't have time. So like there were a few just one on one episodes in the past few weeks. But now we have another guest today. And the cool thing is we can kind of continue the conversation that we had last week or not last week, two weeks ago in the last episode.
2: Exactly. So for those of you who didn't listen to last week's episode, we talked about kind of the differences in schooling and the school systems in between the U.S. and Germany, which mm-hmm. obviously when you're comparing those two, there's a whole other world of schools out there, which I hope that you guys told us in the comments as well about your experiences. Um, but one thing, and as, as we said, we, we were thinking, who could we interview? And I remembered my old roommate. So now, as you guys know, I've changed apartments, but I still have a lot of contact with the old VG that I lived with. The shared flat? The shared flat. Exactly. Uh, exactly. The, sh- <laughs> the, sh- the shared flat. And my old roommate, Clemens, actually went to a boarding school in the UK. So we thought that this would be a good interview and a good topic to kind of piggyback off of the topic from last week. Before we get into the specifics of the interview, Feli, how are you?
0: i'm pretty good actually the weather in cincinnati is so crazy we don't even want to talk about the weather but one thing that's been going on here and i mean you obviously know about Mm -hmm. that but probably a lot of our german or non-american listeners and viewers don't know about this this year summer of 2021 is actually a special year in the midwest and also some other states like new york i believe and Mm -hmm. things somewhere like down south too but in some of these regions here in the U.S., there are cicadas that came out for the first time in 17 years. Brood so they haven't eggs. been, yeah, they haven't been out since 2004. So it's like just this species or type mm-hmm. of cicadas that come out, mate, and then they, I think, do they bury themselves or do they bury their eggs? I think they bury I,
2: I think, their I, eggs. I think they. Oh, I think they bury themselves.
0: Okay, okay. Anyway, so so somehow they basically are underground for 17 years. And then somehow they know, okay, this is the year that we're supposed to come out again. Who knows why? Mm -hmm. Um, And then it took them a little bit longer this year to come out because the temperatures were so weird. But apparently once the ground hits a certain temperature, they just start coming out. And people have been talking about this all year, even last yeah. year, I think people talked about it, like warning me because I'd never experienced this, mm-hmm. this before. We do have cicadas in Europe, but they're just like regular cicadas that are there always. Yeah. And with this, it's it was always like people always told us, oh, it's going to be insane. Like there's mm-hmm. going to be piles and piles of dead cicadas and it's <laughs> going to be so loud and they're going to fly into your windshield and in here, into your face and it's going to be so annoying. And it might still get to that point, but so far it's not that bad yet. But I think it's just because they're not all out yet. It's just a few of them. Yeah. It's definitely gotten loud, though, and you definitely see them. Every yeah, was, hour
2: I was—I completely hour. forgot about it. Because, I mean, I've seen it on, like, social media from back home that, yeah, everyone's talking about the cicadas, the cicadas. Yeah. Um, but for me, like, it's funny to think of the cicadas because, like you said, 2004 was the last time they were out. Yeah. I, d- I have my childhood memories are very... Um. um Filled with cicadas like I really I I remember like being in my backyard and seeing cicadas everywhere And there were like the shells of the cicadas on everything. Uh It was a it was a very Formative part of my childhood because I mean it must have just been one summer, right? Yeah But I mean, I think there are cicadas that come out every year as well. Yeah Um, But this set of the 17-year cycle. Yeah I've only experienced it once and I've gotten to avoid it now But I'm wondering if when I go back to visit my family um, at the end of July if if the cicadas will still be there I think they will yeah
0: no I think so because I think their life cycle is like six to eight weeks and not all of them have come out yet so there's probably gonna be a peak where a lot of them are gonna be out here at the same time and basically all they're doing is like being loud because they're trying to mate that's it that's their only purpose
2: yeah and they're not they're not dangerous they don't hurt anything they're just really annoying Mm -hmm.
0: And they're kind of big too, so yeah, they're gross. A lot of people are grossed out by them. Yeah. yeah. I mean I'm I'm not actually, but they it's still like weird if like your stairs like outside of the house, your steps are just covered in dead yeah. bugs.
2: Yeah. It's it's pretty gross.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well how are you, Josh? How's Munich? Yeah.
2: Munich is great. I just <laughs> got back to Munich. I actually, now that the borders are easier to cross here in Europe with all of the cases tending to go down now, um, I was able to go visit some friends in Austria. So mm-hmm. to all of you Austrians, I was in your country last weekend. Um, so I went to Vienna and had a really nice time visiting friends. And um, they're more open over there when it comes to Corona like restrictions now. They have like this thing that yeah. they call their three, 3G three strategy, get tested, or genesen. So... Um, vaccinated tested or recovered. recovered um so pretty much even indoor dining was open you just had to be able to prove one of those three things so it was a, it was a really fun weekend and generally hmm. things are going really well over here but yeah, we don't have I any even saw on instagram to on. that
0: some people in Austria had concerts which i don't think okay. concerts are a thing in germany yet right
2: yeah i don't i'm not sure i am not planning on going to one anytime so. soon but yeah yeah but no generally things are going well
0: that's good. Glad to yeah. hear that. So before we jump to the interview, let's just give a quick shout out to Lingoda, which is today's sponsor.
2: So as you guys may know, Lingoda has sponsored us in the past and we're excited to work with them again this time. Um, they're doing another sprint challenge like It's pretty much the same thing that we've talked about in the past, but Lingoda is a language learning platform and they have some really cool features and things that are really helpful when you're trying to learn a new language. They have really flexible learning hours. Lingoda has classes that are offered 24/7, So really anywhere in the world where you are, you can always find a class. Another cool thing that they have is that they have native speakers who are their teachers, which I know for me has made a big difference when I've learned German and then also working on learning Spanish and now French. Learning from native teachers is always best. Yeah, Um, especially
0: when it comes to pronunciation and accents and things like that. And also just like local phrasings, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Like what actual native speakers would say, what sounds authentic. Not
2: calling your teacher (laughs) Frau.
0: Yeah, for example.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And another really cool thing that they have is their class size. They have really small group classes and it's really interactive. Each class takes place through Zoom and it lasts for 60 minutes and has around two to three students with a maximum of five. So that's a huge advantage as well because you get lots of opportunities to speak and ask questions.
0: So they have their Lingoda Sprint again, starting on August 2nd. And this is an amazing opportunity for all of you who want to boost their language skills to the next level. Because basically, this is a challenge to take language classes consistently for three months straight. And just there's two major things when it comes to learning language. It's being surrounded by it, being immersed by it, and being consistent about it. And basically, you're going to have both of these perks with this program, because you're going to have native speakers as your teachers. And then also, you're basically going to be encouraged or forced in a way to be very persistent with your classes because there's a really great incentive. If you do the Lingoda Super Sprint then you're gonna take 30 classes a month for three months and if you sign up until June 24th you'll get up to 100% cash back or you can also choose to do the regular sprint which means that you'll attend 15 classes a month for three months and then you'll get 50% cash back. So this is just an amazing motivation to stick with it and the languages they offer are English and also. So business English for those of you who need English at work, for example, but they also offer German, which of course is a really cool language. I can definitely recommend it. <laughs> Ligoda is also actually um, located in Berlin and then they also have French and Spanish.
2: Exactly. I'm actually seriously considering doing the sprint version. If you guys are really motivated and really want to learn quickly, I would definitely recommend doing the super sprint because you're really forced to put your money where your mouth is. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, with my busiest schedule, I don't think I'd be able to do that. But I'm seriously considering joining a sprint for the French version.
0: Oh, someone's yes. getting motivated here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh,
3: wow, let's well- see.
0: Both plans require a 49 euro, which means $59 deposit. And then each plan will be paid in three monthly installments. But you can save if you use our code. The code is FAST47. And with that, you can save 20 euros or $25 on that deposit.
2: If you guys want to maybe see me in a French class, make sure that you join the Sprint as well. Make sure you check out the link in the description box below with our voucher code. Um, and you will be able to sign up through that link. Also, don't forget to check out the FAQ session before joining. That way you can get all of the information that's necessary and make sure you understand what what you're signing up for.
0: And if you're aiming high, then make sure to sign up for the super sprint with 100% cashback before June 24th. Other than that, the deadline is July 16th to sign up, and then the sprint starts on August 2nd.
2: And with that, let's jump into the interview with Claymans. As you all can see, we actually have a new person here with us that you guys haven't seen before. This is my old roommate, Klemens. Hi, Claymans. Hi, everyone, I'm (laughs) Klemens. Thank you, Josh. Thank Good you to Philly. have you. <laughs> yeah, so Clemens and I have known each other now for probably about six months since I've been in, well, I guess five months since I've been in Germany. You were one of my first roommates here. Um, you helped with the transition period. So thank you to, for that. Um, you my helped, pleasure. especially since you study, and we'll talk about this too, since you study law, you helped me figure out some of the stuff with like contracts. And I remember sitting down at the kitchen table looking over a few legal German documents.
0: Like, oh, that German was German him. I documents. think we talked about that before. uh
2: uh-huh.
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, the because i I'm taking forever. (laughs)
2: exactly exactly (laughs) so you've been helping me through that process which obviously i'm very appreciative of and i'm super happy to be able to have you on the podcast now because you've started to follow us some too um even i remember one of the times that we were recording um i was in my room and you guys put a mattress in front of my door so you you were part of the team that helped the production quality increase um on the podcast for that episode too
0: (laughs) thank you (laughs) appreciate that
2: (laughs) i'm glad i can help in
1: any way possible
2: Yes, definitely. (laughs) But so... We thought that you would be a good interview guest, especially for this episode, because last episode we were talking about school differences between the U.S. and Germany. Um, Obviously, that's my experience being an American and then Failey's experience having grown up in Munich and going to school. But kind of coming off of that, I was thinking of you because you kind of have an interesting schooling experience um, that's very unique, especially compared to kind of the more standard experiences that Failey and I had growing up. So maybe you can kind of introduce yourself some and then maybe start by talking about just kind of your schooling experience in
1: general sure so um i um i was born in dusseldorf and uh, but i grew up in in batomburg which is close to frankfurt and it's a it's a, it's a medium to small town um and uh, i went to um grundschule there the elementary school and also i started going to gymnasium the um i think grammar school it's in british english it's not well, middle we ex- school?
0: We explained it in the last episode. Okay. So if you guys want to know what gymnasium is, <laughs> go to the last episode. But I think we just referred to it as like the secondary school that we have in Germany. Sure. One of the one of the three types, the highest level is what that is.
1: So I, w- I did the four years of elementary school and then went into gymnasium. And I did um, four years of gymnasium in Bad Homburg. And then I switched to a British boarding school uh, called Bedford School in Bedford. Um, and I spent another four years there and I did my, uh, I did, uh, the, the degree I did there was the international baccalaureate, the IB. And, um, after that, I came back to, um, uh, to Germany and I started studying in, in Munich, uh, where I'm still at right now. And at the moment I'm doing a PhD in law and studying computer science.
0: Wow. That sounds very <laughs> impressive. Have you been in Munich the whole time? So you did your bachelor's in Munich and then master's and now PhD.
1: Uh, right. I've been in Munich. Wow. This is my eighth year in Munich now. And obviously a very difficult question whether I am um, a Munich person now. <laughs> you're <laughs> so not. I think the, the, the OG Munich people would would say you, you're only from Munich if you've been here for three generations.
0: Yeah, there's <laughs> like I, a big dispute about that, like Münchner, like calling yourself right, a Münchner. Exactly. I would say, yeah, because I, I like recently we talked about this on one of the episodes. I gave that you the I title might...
2: Cincinnatian.
0: Yeah, you said that I might be able to call myself a Cincinnatian now, so I would argue, yeah, you can call yourself a Münchner after eight years.
1: Thank you very much. I <laughs> I feel like I am because I, it's the city I know best, and mm. um, I can, if people ask me, I can recommend stuff and and thing and stuff like that. I feel like that qualifies me. To, yeah, maybe qualifies me to call me call myself a Münchner.
0: Well, cool. Which university are you at?
1: It's the LMU Munich, the Ludwig okay. Maximilians University.
0: So that's the same university that I got my bachelor's from. Well, nice. and, cool.
2: And also, maybe you can talk about what you had in your bachelor's, too, because it's always interesting when introducing Clemens. It's easier to introduce what he's not <laughs> studying than what he actually is. Because what
1: did you do your bachelor's in? Uh, so I did, I started off uh, with a law degree. The law degree in Germany is not a bachelor's master's system. They actually, they are. Uh, there are a couple of degrees in the German university system that didn't transition to bachelor's master's. They stayed in the state exam system, uh, the, the lawyers. Uh, same as theology, uh, same as teaching and um, pharmacy also.
0: Teaching and in Bavaria, because I think in some other states it's actually a bachelor master's degree They now, They
1: also, in, in other states, they also award a bachelor's of education, but they still do the state exam.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: in, in Bavaria, that's actually a disadvantage for the people because they they don't get a bachelor's in education, but they still do the Staatsexam exam. And the Staatsexam exam is it's uh, if a bachelor's is 180 credits the Staatsexam is, is considered to be 240 but you don't do credits in the system but you don't get a bachelor's so it's not possible to do to do a master's on top even though you theoretically have more credits so it's kind of a disadvantage for the people who do um, um who do only the Staatsexam. but anyway that's a different story um i started off studying uh, law on Staatsexam, and after one semester i felt like I don't know. I I just felt like if I if I only do law for the rest of my life, I'd probably go crazy. So I started I took up a bachelor's degree in English studies as well. Um, So I then did the bachelor's degree in English studies. And then um, once I finished my law degree, I also did a master's degree in English studies. Wow. Like yep. I said, don't get into You're an right. argument with this guy but because he will always win.
0: <laughs> Where did the computer science come in? Didn't you say computer science
1: too? Right, yeah. I started, uh, when I finished my law degree, I started the master's degree in English studies and also the bachelor's degree in computer science.
0: Wow! <laughs> yeah, I'm very impressed. <laughs> that's but crazy. We're, not even, we're not even we're not even going to talk different...
1: about the this the
2: the higher education system. We're focusing this episode on your <laughs> your I guess your general schooling, being in American English, your elementary and, and high school experience. Um, but yeah, that, that's awesome. I mean, so how when did you start going to the the boarding school in mm-hmm. in England, or how did that even come to be?
1: Uh, right, I'm. I, I went there when I was 13 years old uh, which is it, it's very young for, for Germans um, it, it all started when my older brother he's one and a half years older than me and he wanted to do a year abroad and so um, there's a, there's actually a lady in Munich uh, she's like a, like an agent for people who want to who, who want to send their kids to to British schools and then you you go there and the, she takes a look at you and she, she looks at your grades and stuff. And she, she tells you, okay, s- these schools would be good for you. And then you have like an option of five or six schools. And um, when um, when we did that, my um, my parents were uh, only thinking about, because my brother wanted it, uh, they were only thinking about that it's only for my brother. But then I was there and I saw all of these things and I thought, well, I actually f- find it fascinating and I think it's mm-hmm. really interesting. And then I, I said, well, is it is it possible that I go as well? Um, and so... We went there at the same time. Uh, oh, we, that's. Cool. We went there. Yeah, so we went. to, we we, we took a. We actually took a took a uh, during school holidays. We went to to England and we looked at the schools she she recommended. And then um, after we looked at all the schools, she 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 said we could look at, uh, we should look at. We we both came out of Bedford School and we said this is the one we want to go to. This one.
0: So both you and your brother went to the same school.
1: Together. Exactly, we that makes it, makes it makes it a lot
0: easier, probably, as a thirteen does, year old yeah. going abroad. <laughs>
1: yeah, I I think I I don't know if I I would have had the confidence if it wasn't for my brother going, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. especially at the age.
0: Yeah, because
1: it, my my parents didn't didn't tell me to go. It was mm-hmm. um, it was my brother who wanted to go, and then I said if he goes because. Um, because we're so close, everything my brother was allowed to do, I was also allowed to do quite, quite yeah. soon afterwards. How it happens so a lot
0: th- with siblings, yeah. Right,
1: and and then um, I, I, I think I, I was afraid of uh, him going away, and then I don't know uh. me falling behind <laughs> or something. And um, so when we got there, we uh, the the boarding schools usually have different houses. Um, so the people who who come from abroad, they don't all live in the same house, but there are um, in, in Bedford there are six different houses. And we went into different houses, so we didn't uh, we we didn't have the opportunity to to talk each other every day every day uh, at least not during during our time off in school of course. Uh, so we we didn't speak German all the time to each other, but mm-hmm. we still had each other around and could talk to each other whenever we wanted to.
0: That's awesome. Were there any other Germans there?
1: Uh, there were, yeah. Okay. Um, usually, the there's the, the the British school system is in. Um, in, in forms. I mean they, they count in, they count years as well, mm-hmm. but they call it um, the 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 last two years are called the sixth the, the sixth form. And there's the lower sixth uh, that, which is the um, semi last year and then the upper sixth sixth which sixth form which is the last year.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, usually Germans come for these last two years. Okay. So they finish tenth grade in Germany and then for eleven and twelve they go to England and i came for um, for two years below that um where, and in the in the last two years in the sixth form you do the a levels or the international baccalaureate and in the two years before that you do the gcse the general certificate of secondary education
0: is that kind and of like mittlere reife or could you compare it's it it pretty much anything? is
1: yeah okay. yeah it's an equivalent if you own, if you do your gcse's in in england you can get it uh, recognized as mittlere reife in germany
0: Got it. So just for our viewers to repeat that one more time, Mm -hmm. Mittlere Reife is the um, diploma that you get when you finish 10th grade, either at a gymnasium in Germany or when you finish it at Realschule. So either at the highest secondary school or the middle secondary school in Germany.
2: But one of the interesting things it sounds like, or from our conversations, that's at least what I've understood, is that the GCSEs are recognized as the Mittlere Reife, but the A-levels aren't necessarily recognized as the Abitur. So maybe right, maybe yeah. you could explain what the International Baccalaureate is as well, because that's something mm-hmm. that at some schools in the U.S. they offer, but for example at my school they didn't. So a lot of at least Americans don't know what that is.
1: In the in the A level in the A levels you have uh, four subjects in the first year and two and three subjects in the second year. So it's 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 uh, in the GCSEs you have like I don't know you can do uh, you you don't have to do very many subjects, but you can um, you can do up to. 10, 11, 12 subjects.
0: When you say do subjects, just like take those classes or take the exams in those subjects?
1: <laughs> There's a difference there because, uh, for example, I took English in uh, the classes in English, mm-hmm. but then I did two or three GCSE exams in English. So there are and the same with maths. Um, so the, the exams and the, the courses you take don't really match. Okay. For some courses, there are more exams. But generally, yes, it means um, do, the, do the subject is you take the courses, the, the classes, and then at some point you sit the exam in the...
0: But so uh, when you said like you do some in the first year and then some in the second year, you take the exams at different points in time then
1: in rather the, than the all levels. at once. Mm-hmm. Um, in the, in the A-levels, A you have the, the, the lower sixth form, so the, the penultimate year, you have the, um, it's called AS, uh, and then the, 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 the exams you do at the, at the end of the second year, they're, they're the A-levels. Okay. And at the beginning of the two years, you choose four subjects, and then you carry you carry over three of those subjects into the second year. Okay. So you drop one of the one of the four subjects and the at the end of the the uh, the, the penultimate year.
3: Mhm.
1: And uh, the German, uh, the um, none of the federal states of Germany recognize a degree with only which only consists of three subjects as an Abitur. Because
0: the Abitur usually has five.
1: subjects. At least, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you you study a lot more, and then you have uh, you have exams in five of them, yeah. And um, you you get your A levels recognised as a Fachabitur,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, which we talked about in the last
2: episode as well.
1: It, it still qualifies you go to, to uh, you to go to university, but you have to know what you want to study when you choose your four subjects at sixteen years old, which yeah. is quite limiting. And I I I wasn't able to say what I wanted to study when I was th- sixteen years old. Mm-hmm. So um, the IB on the other hand, you do six subjects and you have exams in all six subjects. Okay. And it's, uh, it's quite uh, it's, it's a preset which, which type of subjects you have to do. You have to do you have to do maths. you have to do one of three core languages, and then you have to do a foreign language, a, a humanity or a social science, uh, a natural science, and then you can choose one freely.
0: That sounds very similar to how the abitur was when i did my abitur in bavaria which like the bavarian abitur is considered to be one of the hardest or most challenging within Germany. And we only had five subjects, but it was like that. Like, you had to do math, you had to do German, you had to do one second language, et cetera.
2: And all of the Americans who are listening are sitting here like, this is way too much information, like so overwhelmed, (laughs) because I am myself. Like, we just go to school, and at the end, we're done. (laughs) Like, (laughs) there's nothing that's complicated. Um, But that's cool. So you did the, the, the International Baccalaureate, which then allowed your your schooling to be recognized as an abitur so you could go to a german university with no problems Mm -hmm.
0: i have a quick question where else does that degree or that diploma get recognized is it all over the country or is it just certain countries
1: as far as i'm aware it's recognized everywhere
0: okay yeah i mean that's what it sounds like i just like never even asked i know a few people who did it like did that um, diploma at a french school in munich or in germany in general um, so I knew that it was recognized in Germany. I just didn't know if it was like actually an international diploma. Mm-hmm. That's cool though.
1: So I, I could have applied to, uh, to British universities with the mm-hmm. IB as well. And, uh, the, uh, the, the British people at the school usually didn't do the IB because, um, uh, okay. it's, 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 it was considered more to be more difficult than the A-levels.
0: Yeah. That's what it sounded like.
1: Um, because uh, in, for British universities, you you apply to universities with a system called UCAS, and it's integrated into your in, into the school. And then you uh, you're told you have to do this and this and this to, to apply to a maximum of five universities.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And you can do that with your with your A levels just as well as your as, as the IB. And because the A levels established there, every every university accepts them as well.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So there was there was really no need for the for the people who, who knew they wanted to study in in the UK to to go for the IB. So the the IB in general. So there was a split in my school between the people in the sixth form who did the A levels and the mm-hmm. people in the sixth form who did the IB, and we didn't have lessons together. Okay. Um, it was complete because there's a there's a different curriculum. Uh, there are completely different different classes as well. Got
3: it. Um,
1: and so in the in the IB classes it was usually foreigners. Uh, so n- by foreigners I mean non-British people.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And there were I, I mean in in my year there were two or three British people who did the IB. The try hard. Um, I don't know. It, it, I th- I think it's a great degree to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's more it's more general. It's more it's more general than the A levels because in, in the A levels you do it's possible to choose, for example, um, maths, further maths, and physics as your three A-level, three A level subjects, and then at, after the point of 16, and you you stop learning about anything that's not math related. Mm-hmm. And I'm, um, I mean, it's educational politics is, is, is an entire topic in itself but an, i don't want to i don't want to dismiss anything like the a levels but to me it seems weird to to focus yourself like that when mm-hmm. in the first year of uni- university you learn more than that anyway mm-hmm. exactly and i mean what it all comes down to as well is what's what's the intention or
2: what's your goal through your schooling
0: So, I mean, you already kind of touched on that a little bit, but we've talked about it a little bit in the last episode, but also with some of our other guests. Like, I think we talked about it with Jay, we talked about it with Heen, um, Mm -hmm. who were guests on our podcasts about how there is a fairly big difference in the level, like in how challenging the schooling is in the US compared to German gymnasium, at least. Also, when you compare like with Heen, I think we mostly talked about college versus university in Germany. Mm -hmm. Um, What was your experience with that? I mean, it sounds like uh, apparently the path that you took was a little bit more challenging than the regular path at British schools. But how would you compare that? Was it easier like was the curriculum easier once you moved to uh, the uk or was it the same was it more challenging how would you compare it
1: i think it it actually depended on the subject Mm -hmm. um in in latin for example i had latin in 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 the uh, in the uk and in germany i felt latin was way more difficult in germany Mm -hmm. um but for example, in, in many in many of the core subjects like uh, the natural sciences, maths and stuff, they had a they had a set system in England, which I found really really interesting. Which is you don't have um, you don't have a, a fixed set of people you go to every class with, but for every single subject, you're depending on how good you are at the subject, you are um, graded into a different set. And so the the higher sets do more advanced stuff in the lessons, and the lower sets do less advanced stuff in the lessons.
0: So kind of like how it is at American high schools in a lot of cases. How many different sets were there, usually?
1: Ooh, for I think for the for the subjects everyone took, there were six. Oh, wow.
0: Oh, wow. It's usually like two to three in the U.S., yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. I think about. the
2: maximum that we had was three, in my okay, school at that's least. Okay,
0: that six is, that's sounds I mean, very... This Individual. is only at the
1: GCSE level. Mm-hmm. Okay. At the A levels uh, and the IB um, in the IB years and the A level years, they don't have sets anymore. Everyone does oh, okay. the same. Okay. And also, everyone in the in the GCSEs at the end takes more or less the same exams. Okay. It's it's more it's more like the 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 speed of at which teaching happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what um, happens then that? if
0: you like take the highest set the whole time like for like let's say you're like just very talented at a lot of diff- different subjects and you take the highest or second highest set at a lot of the subjects. Do you just have time off then? Or what happens with the time that you win through that?
1: Oh, you, you, It's exactly the same amount of time.
0: But didn't you just say that like, the, like, the curriculum, basically what's tested in the end is the same for all people, mm-hmm. but the speed of teaching is different? So then like, if right. you get through the same curriculum faster, then what do you do in the rest of the time?
1: Uh, you learn more advanced stuff.
0: Okay, that's just not going to be tested then in the end. yeah,
1: yeah. you okay, just go beyond it. the test. That's cool. Right. I think a lot of the people who did uh, who who were in the higher sets in at the GCSE level, they were interested in the subject anyway mm-hmm. and they were happy to learn more about it and then it. go on to study it at a level where they wouldn't have to know it anyway.
0: Yeah, that's awesome.
1: That's so cool. I think it would give them something like a head start for the for the further years. Mm-hmm. It's
2: a really interesting way, especially if there's six different sets. like that just seems like really, really complicated to me to get it all organized, but no, I mean, it's cool. So generally would it, it, like you're saying, it depended on the course that you would say it was easier, or harder in Germany versus the UK.
1: Yeah, and I've, I, as a total comparison, I can't actually say wh- yeah. which is mm. more difficult because I I've, I only did my degree in, in the UK. And um, for me, it was very difficult to, to cope with the, with the language at first. So mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think that might have skewed everything a little bit. Of course. Um, for example, I remember um, that I, I, was, I got, for my first essay in, in English, uh, I got a B- and I was ridiculously happy with it because yeah. uh, I felt like it was just, I, I should have gotten a D or something. Yeah, I mean, you were graded
0: <laughs> um, on the same level probably as the native speakers, I'm assuming, right? right. Or did they make exceptions?
1: Oh, no,
2: no, no so when you first arrived how was your english i mean you said you were 13 right so how long <laughs> had you had germany or english in germany at that point not not super long a few hmm. years probably but that doesn't mean that you were, ha- were at a fluent level i'd had english for two years in school
1: um so wait I, you
0: said you went there at the age of 13 so was that yeah. for seventh grade
1: or? Uh, i think sixth
0: so you finished sixth grade in germany or you only finished fifth grade in germany
1: i finished eighth grade in germany
0: eighth grade
1: yeah I was I went to school at five so um
0: okay oh wait okay <laughs> so all right so you went th- so you started ninth grade in the UK then
1: exactly okay
0: okay got it and you said you only had English for two years at that time
1: yeah because I went to an uh to a um an Altsprallis mm. gymnasium a um, gymnasium which does the classical languages um uh, mainly latin uh, I'm my first foreign language in gymnasium was latin and not english mm-hmm. Uh, okay got okay. it my and dad English did the my... same thing <laughs> right. what's the name of that school um, i've never heard of it before uh allsprachliches gymnasium uh, okay
0: it's like just one we have like some gymnasium like some of those schools have different focuses mm-hmm. it's not super common but there's for example schools that are like a wirtschaftsgymnasium so they focus more on economics but then those uh schools focus more on like greek or mm-hmm. latin for example
2: so so then you had your two years of of English in Germany, and then you show up in the UK. I'm sure that was very intimidating. So like, how quickly did you see your your language progress? Or was it (laughs) you said it was a struggle somewhat at first to, to adjust. So maybe you can talk some about that.
0: Yeah, that's that's crazy. Sorry, just to interrupt yeah. one more time. But like when you say like at 13 and especially like after eighth grade, too, like for me, that sounds like, OK, like people have had English for a while in German mm-hmm. schools, because nowadays a lot of German students also start in elementary school after just two years of learning a foreign language. That's really, really early.
1: I think English is a special case, actually. I think it's very difficult. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure whether you can actually learn English in the same way that you would learn, say, spanish in germany because english is everywhere you you Mm. cannot escape english you Mm -hmm. you listen you've listened to the radio since you've been a baby i I, i've been listening to the radio since i was since i was born so i had english in my life always and so i think it came more came to me more naturally than Mm -hmm. if i if i would have had to learn another language and um well but anyway when i when i got to when i first talked to my my one of my roommates in 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 the boarding school I asked him if he wanted to go to town and he didn't understand me. Um so yeah, it was it my English wasn't great. It was enough to get by. Um and for example the first the first task I got in in, in English classes was to read a story by Edgar Allan Poe. Ah.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And um I sat there for a week oh. trying to figure out what it means. And there were so many words in there I just had never heard before, but yeah. it's uh, it's that was um yeah. It was tough, but I I don't I, I got into it really quickly th- through that. Good.
0: Well, how long do you think it took you to actually become very like confident or fluent even if you want to use that word?
1: Oh. V-
0: like was it pretty quickly because I mean you were immersed in the language. Like your right, classes yeah. were in English, your Uh, classmates talk to you in English that everything was in English right so would you say it happened within the first year there or quicker even or did it take longer
1: I would say it was within the first year but only Mm -hmm. the first level so I would have been able to to make myself understood Mm -hmm. about anything within the first year and I would have been able to understand anything within the first year
0: which a lot of people would consider that to be fluent
1: Mm-hmm. I would say right, and yep. then and then I at some point I realized I don't actually know very much about the language, and then for example, um, the the strength of words, using the correct word in the correct situation is mm-hmm. is something that I think is is very difficult to to reach except through immersion, mm-hmm.
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, and so th- I think that took me another um, two years.
2: Yeah, and then wow. the fine heighten of the of the language exactly, the, yeah, intricacies. <laughs>
1: There we go. English. <laughs> <laughs> when I left the UK, I think my my accent was, was, was a lot stronger than it is today. And then I actually, I think my, my accent got better when I studied English. Ah, you okay. mean you had You're a German. more
0: German accent still?
1: Exactly. I had a more oh, German okay. accent. Yeah.
0: Wow. That's crazy. I but mean, yeah. I and then you like went on to study English exactly, at university. So that makes sense.
2: I assumed you had linguistics courses where you really exactly, do- yeah. dove deep into
1: pronunciation rules especially uh, the phonetics and phonology courses and thinking about how stuff actually works uh, under the hood Mm -hmm. uh, i think that helped me Mm -hmm. and but beyond that i still don't think that i know english i i I don't think you can ever speak a language perfectly i don't know german perfectly yeah yeah your english (laughs) is better than mine (laughs) so i'm not i'm not (laughs) going (laughs) to say the crazy thing is
2: they were teaching me they were teaching me new words in english like Constantly, I feel like. like Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, the the thing was, when I moved into into the VG, I mean, both, so Clemens studied English studies, so great, great at English, very well, well read. Um, my other roommate, Ed Goss, he uh, studied German studies, and I think he had some linguistics as well, so all of these people were super language focused, and I'm just sitting there like, they're... they're, they're. <laughs> But
3: you're still was, language
2: focused I mean, too, I know, Josh. I know I am. I I know I am. But I did, I guess I studied German studies. But I just felt like, oh my gosh, they're teaching me English words that I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, which words did you learn? I want to learn those too. <laughs> uh,
2: one of them, which I didn't learn from you, Clemens, but I learned from Eddie, is torpor. That's 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 a word that I had never heard of. And luckily, I asked my mom, and my mom has a very good vocabulary, and she's never heard of the word either. But it is indeed okay, a well, word. what? does it mean? It, it torpor, I think, is like. Um, Oh, shoot. How, how would you say, like, um, lethargic? That's the word I'm looking for, lethargic.
0: Lethargisch?
2: Is I don't know the, the German Jer- translation. Like, <laughs> lap, would you say? Yeah. Lap? Lethargisch? I would say lethargisch. Yeah.
0: I, yeah. But we, la- lap that, no. in German? No, schlapp. Schlapp is the yeah, word. Schlapp. Okay, I was like, what yeah, are yeah. you trying to like, get I at? Knew, I knew
2: lap wasn't right, <laughs> schlapp. Uh, okay, yeah, <laughs> but that's essentially what torpor means, which is a, a okay. new word to me. But no, I feel like very few Americans actually know that word. But that—that's a complete yeah. aside. Um, so then you—you said within a, a year you felt like you were really able to communicate and be understood, um, which I think is is extremely fast. Um, but I guess if you're surrounded constantly. By English, it makes sense. Did you receive any sort of extra tutoring in English from the school, or was it just kind of you were tossed into the water and had to learn to swim?
1: Uh, I didn't receive any additional tutoring. Okay. I think that the the most useful was living with people who who I could only speak English with, mm-hmm. and that was I think one of the advantages of going there when I was still quite young, because um, the I've um, I noticed with with Germans who came there later when they were older, um, they they, they joined the school with uh, with 10 or 15 other Germans, and then they'd stick together in a social group and only talk German to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then after two years, effectively, they didn't speak very much English at all.
0: Yeah, that's funny. That happens a lot at university, too, at least like here at the University right. of Cincinnati that Josh and I went to. Um, there's usually... A, a so-called like international bubble, and a lot of the exchange students that come here for one semester or a year do the same thing. And even though they don't only stick together with people from their country, they stick together with the other exchange students from other European countries or regions, from where they're from. And then a similar thing happens: like either they just don't even speak English, or they speak English only with non-native speakers, mm-hmm. which then leads to their English skills not really improving at all.
1: Yeah. And that's yeah. I, I, th- I, sympathize, I I sympathize with that because it's it's actually I've, it was my experience that it was very difficult to to get access to the to, na- to the native speakers mm. because mm-hmm. um, uh, they have their social circles they have their friend groups and then you just barge in as a as the foreign guy and then um, uh, you want to talk to them and it's it's um, if you are the foreign person it's more difficult to find common ground in the first place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then also to establish yourself enough to be accepted into a social circle and then to, to be invited to stuff and then to, to have constant contact with them. It's, uh, it's not easy. And I have a quick
0: question. Have you ever been to the U.S. at all?
1: I've been three times.
0: Okay, so, I mean, Americans are obviously known for, like, being a lot more open and a lot more just easy to make friends with, right? Like, when I came here, um, and even when I came here in, when I was 16, I only it was just two, for two weeks, but it was just very easy to make friends here and talk about certain topics with people even if you didn't really have a lot in common like you said so yeah. how would you compare that with your experience in the uk it sounds like british people in that sense are a little bit more like germans overall a little bit more closed
1: up <laughs> more reserved mm-hmm. um perhaps yeah because well i've the the con i haven't i had again i haven't really had the same kind of contact with americans yeah. when i was in the mm-hmm. U- in, in, in the u.s um but maybe that's fair to say yeah it's uh, in the school context, kids can be very mean. I think mm-hmm. that's a that's a given for yeah. f- especially in the age group t- thirteen to sixteen. Yeah, that also plays into that. And um, if you're just uh, um, for me, I think it was um, first of all struggling in a time of puberty. Anyway,
3: mm-hmm. and then
1: struggling with a foreign language, and then struggling with a new environment is um, it's it comes it becomes quite difficult to to then be uh, to have the confidence and the and uh, the, uh, the charm to to get into um, talking to people constantly, and I think one of the things that was uh, be- the best uh, options to um, get into contact with the British people was sports. Exactly, and that was um, also going so to be
2: one of the questions <laughs> I was going to ask you about, kind of moving maybe into some of the social life aspects of mm-hmm. being in a boarding school. I mean we can talk about sports maybe first, but then later on, I, I would be interested in hearing kind of how a school atmosphere is different in the UK, as opposed to the, what you knew from Germany. But as you were saying, sports was a big part of, um, part of your integration, if you will, into maybe British life.
1: And you, you started rowing in the UK, right? That's right. I played, uh, I did rugby for one term, and I broke my arm. Oh no! Then, <laughs> <laughs> um, when it was healed, they put me in a boat, and I didn't get out again. Um,
0: they put you in a boat.
1: <laughs> no, they just uh, they, they go sit over there. The school, the school offered a lot of different sports. Uh, there were um, the, the the school life is organized in terms, so three terms per year, and there are um, every term had so called major sports and minor sports and the major sports were the important sports um and the minor sports they they were offered offer as well and you could you could do whatever you want but every day every week you had to have had to do sport at least twice um and you you just choose a sport and then you that's what you go to tuesday and thursday afternoons
0: wow everyone had to ch- had to do that twice a week
1: everyone yeah wow um and if you do a, if you do a sport that is competitive at all you also saturday afternoon okay um I mean, there was Saturday school anyway, so uh, Saturday half day until lunch, and oh, then wow. afterwards, um, uh, sports afterwards, if you were in a competitive sport. But
2: I, that, wow. that, that, that's unique to boarding school, correct? Or is that, what, as from your understanding, kind I, of I don't know. pretty common in, I think in it the is. UK?
1: There are also boarding schools, I think, that don't have Saturday school, mm-hmm. but I think many boarding schools have Saturday school. Okay. Wow. Um, it was also an all-boys school. I mm-hmm. don't think I've uh, mentioned it before. Um,
0: did you have school uniforms? Definitely, yeah. Okay.
1: It was also, um, if, you, if we want to talk about the, like an integration of, of, of school life and social life, um, a large part of the identification. Um, uh-huh. Because uh, even though it's a school uniform, it's, uh, it's, it's very easy to, to um, individualize it mm-hmm. and then um, show your style. But also yeah. the, which is something I think the, the school did really well. And I think boarding schools generally do really well. Is they create recognition systems for stuff the school wants to reward, that allow you to to add something or take something away from your school uniform. And so, by the way, by the way, you're wearing your school uniform, and what type of school uniform you're wearing, you can tell people I'm good at this or this sport. Hmm. I'm good at academics and stuff like that. So, that, um, so can you, you give us some um, examples? Uh, right. So, um, I've for example i did a lot of rowing and at some point you um, you get so called colors for the sport if you mm-hmm. if you do well in the sport and if, if you're in the in the in the school's first team then you get awarded these honorary colors and then you're allowed for if, if that's where the difference between the major and the minor sports comes in for the major sports you get a specific blazer you're allowed to wear
0: okay um, in that so color sh-
1: yeah so i okay. so the blazer i was allowed to wear had uh, wide rims all around okay uh, and an eagle on the on the chest um, instead of a plain blue or black blazer, mm-hmm. um, so just by that you can you you look at a person and you you can tell ah oh, this person's good at rugby, hockey, rowing, football, whatever. Okay. Um, and also different different ties. Of course, everyone everyone has a tie, and the tie color shows which house you're from.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but then it's uh, like uh, Harry Potter. <laughs> I mean, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, it's it's less magical and mm. it's 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 a lot more real, but. Um, <laughs> you do have you know instead of playing quidditch and, uh, you were rowing <laughs> <laughs> i would have loved to play quidditch yeah a flying broom sounds cool <laughs> um but it, it's uh, rowing also feels like flying sometimes mm. um if, the, if if you haven't tried it i can definitely recommend it it's a great sport also house, it's, uh, sorry. it's great for, 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 for it doesn't, doesn't matter how old you are that's a good thing about rowing Sorry, uh, Philly. Let's
0: no. Let's get back to rowing in a second. Um, but <laughs> did the houses have any other meaning besides just like that's where you lived and you just represented that with your colors, or was there another system in place connected to the houses, like in Harry Potter?
1: Not really. We had okay. a we had a house singing competition every year. Okay. Um, and uh, that was actually pr- uh, kind of a big deal in the school life because you you uh, the whole house practices for it every uh, every uh, in the first term of every year. Um. Uh, one person of the house conducts it, and then uh, the rest is the choir. And then uh, you practice the songs for for I don't know eight weeks, and then you um, um you get on stage in the in the school's hall and you perform in front of everyone else.
3: It sounds and then really all the, cool. All yeah. the
1: six houses they they go up, they sing their songs, and then there's so there's the the unison where where all the members of the house sing, and then there's the part song where you do something like a barbershop quartet, but it doesn't have to be four people; it can be um, Whatever, mm-hmm. and then the uh, then so there's uh, one house performs the unison and the part song, and then uh, there's a person there who grades everyone, and then one one of the houses wins.
0: That sounds really cool.
1: It, I was to like, say both
0: the both that and also the sport part actually does sound like. For I don't know why, but for some reason, Honey and Nanny comes to mind. Um, I think, do you know that, Clemens? Um, <laughs> I don't know like, the name.
1: I've never. I don't. It. Okay,
0: it's a kids' story um, of two twins, and I haven't listened to it. It was like a lot of they had like audio books. I think it was based on actual books, and I think they also had a TV, like a cartoon. That's that was based on it. Um, but I'm pretty sure that it was about two twins who went to an English. Boarding school, So that for some reason, like the whole all the stories that you've told so far with like the sports and also the singing, just and the houses and the school uniform reminds me of that.
2: <laughs> it's, it's funny, just from an American perspective, I'm just thinking, of course, still on Harry Potter. But Harry Potter must be much, much less magical for Brits because they're more familiar with this type of system of like headmaster head boy like all of those terms that sound so special to Americans like ooh, like that's from Harry Potter a lot of the it's just from
1: normal British life if you will um, I just was a thought of that I was having I th- I think it's it's uh, it's important to to um to think about the proportions in, in the UK school system because mm-hmm. what I'm talking about right now is uh, is uh, is less than 10% of the yeah. people who go to school in the UK mm. Uh, most of people in the, most of the, pe- the 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 kids in the UK go to state schools, mm-hmm. um, and they they wouldn't have the same experience. So it's it's a it's a privilege bubble, and it's also something which I found really weird mm-hmm. for a long time that it's so important to people which school you went to. Yeah, mm-hmm. because in Germany, no one would ever ask you which school you went to because it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. and in, in in the UK, for some reason, it's a very important question. Yeah. yeah.
0: So to be clear, the boarding school was a private school then.
1: Yeah, okay. It, it's in, in in British English, it's a it's a public school, but in American, it's a private school. Yeah, this which is so really, confusing. It's, called
0: publi- it's called a public. It's called a public school yeah. in British, British English.
1: The British call it a public school. They like to downplay so the fact versus, that it's private.
0: Public versus state, then, or how yeah. do they?
1: Okay. I think I think so.
2: I don't, I'm not sure. So that's kind of somewhat of like the the magical side of things that I was talking about. <laughs> um, but kind of going back towards sports and integration into meeting like. A, Denglisch today, einheimischen, like meeting the natives, if you natives. will, and really getting really getting integrated into <laughs> the more locals? British, yeah, locals. Um, really getting integrated more into the British culture. You said that rowing was a big part of that for you, so maybe mm-hmm. how, how
1: did that how did that manifest itself for you? I I started out rowing after I'd broken my arm in rugby. Um, great, I, I don't want to say anything negative about rugby. It's a great <laughs> sport, and I just broke my arm because I was too overweight for my for my own body at that point. <laughs> Um so I would have actually continued playing rugby if I hadn't been um uh pretty good at rowing and then I just felt like I wanted to continue there um so I started out with uh two training sessions a week because it's just the Tuesdays and Thursdays they're compulsory, so I went there um. And then at some point they uh, they th- because it's for if you want to be good at rowing at some point you have to do you have to put in as in any sport you have to put in a lot of training, mm-hmm. and so when I was fourteen I think they um, they said uh, well we have this weights room why don't you do go do some weights on Wednesday afternoons, and so that's uh, th- so then I had a third training session and then over the years it, it built up gradually, and in my last year I had at least ten training sessions a week wow, and. Um, because we we always rowed in an eight uh, so there's nine people the um the the, the coxswain he's called is the person who steers the boat and then the the eight rowers and we always did the training together and so it was basically because I, I was living in the boarding house but i was i spent most of my time with these people for training it was uh, like a family really mm-hmm. um because just because we spend so much time together, we just knew what was going on and we we had a plan together. We knew on Saturday we have this competition there when, and, and yeah. I think was, that's,
2: um, yeah. That's one of the really cool things about sports is how it can really bring people together. I, I, I play tennis or I, I grew up playing tennis and it's very much an individual sport, but the way that they do things in the US with high school sports, they turn it into a team sport. So when you're constantly training with people, um you really developed like this camaraderie, which I think is really cool. And I, I can imagine that it was really helpful as far as really getting integrated into, um, into the rowing culture, but also into mm-hmm. just making friends with the locals and just really getting right. a sense of belonging while you're away from your home. I think one thing that's also interesting to mention, and you probably get tired of talking about this, but you were probably especially valued on the rowing team as your height increased.
1: So how tall are you? <laughs> um i am 205 centimeters or six foot nine <laughs> so yeah that's
0: tall <laughs> okay i know nothing about rowing is that good in rowing i don't know i like, oh, assume yeah. it is helpful. Yeah. okay
1: yeah. your your so oars you, in um, the lo- water longer right mm-hmm. i mean uh, of, of course most people have never been in, ro- in a rowing boat but the most important thing in rowing is your legs yeah um because you sit on a rolling seat and yeah. then you go forward and then the more um and and then you you reach out your your um, uh, your paddle to the side, and then the further you can reach it, the more time you spend with a paddle in the water. Right. And if you're taller, you can get more reach. Makes sense. On on every single stroke, you can just get a couple of centimeters more pull time, which uh, across two thousand meters and three hundred strokes makes you faster than the other person.
0: Makes sense. Did you keep rowing when you went back to Germany then afterwards? <laughs>
1: unfortunately i didn't but okay. i mean unfortunately because uh, we we did rowing at a very high level uh, in school and i felt like i wouldn't have been able to continue at that level uh, when i went back to germany
0: especially because there aren't really university sports at german universities
1: not really so, no not yeah. at the same level as in the in the uk or the us um in the in the uk of course the oxford cambridge boat race is one of the national sports competitions um in, in the US, I know there's a very strong, uh, I think they call it crew, crew yep. in, in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a very strong crew scene. In in Germany, there are university sports, but usually the people who want to become, um, who want to be go into uh, competitive um, national level uh, sports in non-professional sports, I mean, non-professional sports being sports, you cannot make a living off if you do it full time.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, they go to be uh, sports soldiers or sports police people. Um, yeah I, I don't think there's really this, this in between what do you mean by a sports soldier yeah sports I'm, I'm
0: confused by that too and I'm a German
1: <laughs> all right you can you can enroll in the army and say I'm really good at this sport let me do the sport and then you are enrolled in the army but you only practice the sport ah, you okay. do your basic training mm-hmm. and then after basic training you go to the military training facilities for this sport and then that's what you do. They have a similar thing in the U S as well
2: with, um, with music, um, they're, are military bands where you go to basic training, but, um, you're in, in the military to perform music.
0: I was like the first thing that I thought of was because I have a friend who's very invested in field hockey and that's a professional sport that you can't live off. But um, none of the people that she knows have done that, I don't think. They just like keep playing their club sport Mm -hmm. on their normal level. They're playing on the national teams, but they just like are fine with the fact that they can't live off it. Mm
1: -hmm. So I like
0: I never knew about the military part of it. I don't think I know anyone who went that Path. For
1: some reason, I think field hockey, I, I know a couple of field hockey players who are at a, at a pretty high level as well. And they have like regular, they studied stuff and then they have have jobs. Um, exactly. Yeah. I think it's it's uh, definitely also possible with, with, with stuff like rowing. Mm-hmm. But then again, I don't really think people have 40 hour jobs as well as doing 25 hours of rowing training at the, on the side. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that
0: makes sense. Um, I want to go back to... The differences in teaching, real quick, because we did talk about the different levels. And one thing that I should probably mention, because like I asked that question, like which school was harder, was it Germany or the British school? Which is a very just simplified question, because obviously um, something can be more challenging for other reasons. Something can be harder just because they don't teach as well like it it could be harder just because the teaching style isn't as good like harder doesn't always necessarily mean better i just want to say that as a, as a disclaimer mm-hmm. because i feel like that's the case like in my personal opinion that's the case for a lot of german schools is that yes it's challenging because they just don't help you a lot in a lot of cases and discipline is just a very valued Trait there but it's not always supporting the students in their talents and things like that so let's go back to like a different aspect between German and uh, British schools how would you compare just the teaching style between the two schools and which one would you personally say you liked better or which one would you just say overall is maybe the better way to do it
1: the the raw teaching styles I think they were very similar actually yeah okay um, the the facilities were different because mm-hmm. just a very very basic thing in 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 the UK we 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 didn't have um, uh, blackboards the ones you write on with chalk but we had whiteboards the ones you write on with markers yeah we have those mm-hmm. in the US predominantly as well and I think that already makes a big difference uh, because in Germany I'd only ever had the the chalk blackboards. And I don't know, they, but they feel pretty old school. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, so in in the UK, I've had teachers who used um, you use different colours to highlight different stuff, and I think that in itself was already useful. Uh-huh. Um, but then the biggest oh, difference, yeah. I would think. I didn't even was, think of that. Like you can use different colors to highlight different things. You, no, when you, can, you can use oh, there's different color chalk too. too. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But yeah, yeah. yeah. you can use different colors chalk, but I, I, I didn't really have mm-hmm. people doing that a lot. And I think it's a lot easier to write on a whiteboard than yeah. on a blackboard. Um, I think the biggest difference was the class sizes. Okay.
0: Um,
1: because in, in my eighth grade class in Germany, we were 34 people. Mm hmm. And then the largest class I had in, in the UK I think was twenty. Okay. Oh
0: wow! Yeah, that's significantly smaller.
1: I wondered. Do, do you think that had something to do with the fact that it was a boarding school or public school? Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, with, for example, in in my uh, in my IB Latin courses, we were two people. Wow. And so <laughs> oh, wow. it wasn't really it wasn't really teaching as much as having a chat with a teacher. Yeah.
0: Yeah, or like tutoring kind yeah. of. Yeah.
1: Yeah, tutoring exactly. And in in my IB History class, we were three. Yeah. Wow. Um, so and it's that makes a, a, a huge difference, obviously. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I don't then, know if um, I would have
0: liked that at that age to only have a <laughs> class with one other student. I w- would have felt a lot of pressure, I think.
1: Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, f- from that point, I'm not even sure if I would have been if if it would have if I would have had the same teaching experience if I had a class with only two people with a, with my German teachers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think it's it's just a different situation from the start. Yeah. All right. It's Maybe very hard it's, to compare. Yeah, maybe the the there's also uh, like um, a gradual state of disenchantment coming in for German teachers who all only have to deal with classes of thirty five people, mm-hmm. and then at some point they they think, well, some of the stuff I just can't deal with.
3: Mm.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, and I think uh, the, the the teachers in 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 Bedford School they they get paid more mm-hmm. uh, than my German teachers did then yeah. again they they weren't uh, they weren't uh, state servants they were employed by the school mm-hmm. i think the the um, in germany is uh, is a pretty big deal for teachers yeah but yeah. it goes both ways mm-hmm. yeah. one one question i would have is how is the relationship
2: between the students or the pupils as the british would say and the teachers so in the u.s it's very it tends to be very relaxed like also, because a lot of the teachers are coaches in school sports, so you end up just calling them by their last name, or even sometimes by their first name. Um, how was the general relation between between the students and the teachers?
1: Um, close, but at the same time, distanced. Mm-hmm. Um, because, for example, you only we I only ever refer to teachers as sir, uh, oh. um, never by their i never by their first name, and. Um, if, if at all by the last name okay. but usually sir so. but then again you i spent because i lived in school so i spent a lot more time with the teaching staff than i ever did in germany mm-hmm. so i knew more about them uh they knew more about me uh up to the point of very personal stuff but just simply because they some of them for example my chemistry teacher he'd seen me grow up from when i was 13 years old and mm-hmm. Obviously, there's some pretty embarrassing stuff there happening in the middle, and they they kind of get the gist of how you develop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so they they know a lot. Of, they know a lot about you, yeah. and um, it's I don't know whether that's good or bad. <laughs> Maybe it gives you some leeway, mm-hmm. uh, but um, in the end, it's it's distance. It's dis, it, it, there's a distance there because you um, just by the by the by the um, inherent hierarchy in a boarding school yeah. you cannot develop a close relationship to them uh, but also just be, it, it's their job to care about you mm-hmm. so i think yeah. it's um it's closer than it was to my german teachers yeah.
2: yeah that sounds interesting just how like i just picture like two people on two, two opposite sides of like a wall like you're you're close but there's this wall of formality that no one's allowed to break
0: <laughs> mm. um i was wondering how exams were at your school because we talked about how at the um, at German schools, we mostly have, I don't even know what you would call them, like open exam styles where it's not multiple choice, but like you actually have to write your answers out. of so response. If you know nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like in the U.S., multiple choice exams are like the standard. How was it at, or how was it at your school? Cause I, I guess you can't really speak for all British schools, but how was it at your, at your school?
1: I don't think I've had any multiple choice exams. <laughs>
0: okay. It's more like in Germany then.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Multiple choice. (laughs) I'll say for the students is the best for the learning, probably not necessarily the best approach. But it's just very, very interesting for me to think of going to school without ever taking a multiple choice exam.
0: Oh, yeah. Same thing that I I don't think we mentioned that in the last episode. But um, with the multiple choice exams also goes that a lot of um, American schools require their students to use a pencil. A number two pencil mm-hmm. is what it's called, right? Yep. Whereas in Germany, like, you're usually not allowed to use a pencil. You have to use a fountain pen up until, like, fifth grade, or at least that's how it was in Bavaria for me. Like, we had to use a fountain pen throughout elementary school and then I think, like, fifth and sixth grade, and then you were allowed to switch to whatever you wanted to use, just a regular Kugelschreiber or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, how was that at your school?
1: <laughs> you could write with whatever you wanted. <laughs> okay. As long as, long But actually, pencils were forbidden because you can rub them okay. out. So yeah. it had to be, um, I think, what's it called, document proof or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you can't uh, you can't rub it out afterwards. Ah, uh, okay.
0: Okay, makes sense. See, that's like the crazy thing between the U.S. and in Germany. Like in the U.S., you're required to use a yeah. pencil, whereas in Germany, you're usually not allowed to use a pencil. Just like you just said, Caymans. So that's crazy.
2: You guys did math your entire schooling with pens. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, me too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> like that was like a thing that they taught us inherently not to do was when you, especially in math class, do not use a pen because if you make a mistake, then, then you can't you just erase. just cross it out. Yeah. You yeah. Just cross it I out. mean, it makes sense, but it's just, like I said, that's something that was drilled into me is if you're doing math, use a pencil. But you they, can look they also your own told us into the eye yes <laughs>
0: <laughs> they also told us that throughout exams like definitely don't like cuz there's even such a thing called tinten killer i have no clue like ink eraser probably mm-hmm. in english or something um, that you can use to erase ink that you use with your fountain pen but even though like most teachers didn't want us to do that anyway, they said especially not to do that on a math exam because what if the first try that you did was yeah. somewhat right after all, the teacher could maybe still give you credits for it if they saw that you did exactly. it and crossed it out, or they could at least tell you, hey, you were on the right track there and then you changed your mind.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, they told us a similar thing when it came to taking exams, but like I, I specifically remember getting, getting yelled at by teachers for using a pen in math class. Nope. <laughs> very, very <laughs> weird.
0: It's very different. So you said that the whole reason why you basically ended up in the UK was your big brother. Um, So how did he even come up with that idea? Was there any kind of affiliation with British culture or the language? Or why did he want to go to the UK in the first place? And then also, why did it spark over to you as well?
1: (laughs) I don't know. I guess my parents... Are pretty international. I think. I mean, they they're both are? German, but they—they, um, okay. my, they, my father studied abroad as well, mm-hmm. um, and I think it was just something that seemed within the re- within the reach of the reasonable mm-hmm. uh, for my brother, um, and so was yeah, it I more like
0: he wanted to go abroad, and then yeah. the UK was the closest choice. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: We wouldn't have gone to France. <laughs>
2: <laughs> one of the one of the interesting things, though, is that your brother, you, like you said, he only wanted to go for one year, right? And did, yeah. he only went for one year.
1: No, we we he went. You, for he three, stayed the I whole time. Okay, okay. And uh, after one year, we our parents asked us, "Hey, do you want to come back? You want to stay?" And we both say we want to stay. We really mm-hmm. like it. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. That's cool. So it's crazy. I mean like obviously though you did develop some kind of love for the country and the language obviously because you studied it <laughs> yeah. afterwards I'm assuming.
1: Definitely, yeah. yeah. It's only uh, the British Whenever version. I go back to the UK now, I um I feel I feel at home in a way. Mm-hmm. Because I've um the the years I spent there they're very formative and I think um it's um yeah, I will always feel some form of familiarity with with england at least
0: why did you choose to go back to germany for university then
1: um several reasons um (laughs) maybe a reason that maybe that sounds trivial is um uh the architecture (laughs) um i mean bedford bedford is in the midlands and the Midlands are not the most idyllic place of the UK. Mm. Okay. And um, so I think if I maybe if I'd been in the countryside somewhere, maybe then I, I would have thought England is very boring. But um, um, there was there was a lot of red brick everywhere, mm-hmm. um, and I found it maybe dull at some point. Mm-hmm. And a very big thing that always upset me was windows. <laughs> um, it was. I mean, how can you call so? Like, no, I don't. I don't want to get it, go go out on a run now. Don't get him started, <laughs> baby. Don't get him started. Do.
0: <laughs> Is it? I mean, aren't British window- windows very similar to uh, American windows?
1: Um, well, the British ones, the, the Americans ones, they are shut all the time.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. And then you have an AC. In the yeah. UK, you don't have an AC, but the the windows are always open and it doesn't even matter if you close them because they're open anyway, because there's no insulation <laughs> between mm. the frame of the window and, the, win- the, and the, 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 the window that slides into the frame. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's um, the
0: same at a, a lot of American houses, I would say. Sounds
1: so. like my, <sighs> my current apartment
2: here. The windows here are the best.
0: Oh, at your German place? <laughs> yeah,
2: we just had ah, a whole issue awesome. with a window that got broken. Oh. And then I had to talk with the Hausverwaltung and they're not paying for it. And we didn't have the right insurance. So don't get me started oh on windows. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's, windows that's seems Altum, to be a right? big topic. <laughs> yep. It's hau- Hausratversicherung. Yeah. We have it
1: now. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's the that's story for another time. Um, yeah, so, so the, the, uh, the architecture is one reason. Um, food is another one. Mm-hmm um i did fall into the terrible stereotype of uh, british food being um uh, yeah i don't i'm not going to say it's bad but it's uh, i found it to be very repetitive but then Suitable. again i was i was i was eating at a at the school uh, cafeteria for 4 years yeah which probably isn't the best comparison it, and but but also London isn't a comparison as well because London isn't isn't the UK it's mm-hmm. its own country in itself. Mm-hmm. Right. In London, you can if you have enough money, you can get some of the best food in the world. Mm-hmm. But um, generally, is it's quite expensive um, food stuff. Um, if you I think if, if you bought a hundred pounds of um, groceries at Tesco's and then bought bought the same groceries in Aldi or Lidl in Germany, you would spend maybe 70-60 euros. Yeah, it's, um,
0: groceries in Germany are very cheap, even compares in comparison to other European countries, which mm-hmm. is very interesting. I never knew that before I went abroad. Honestly,
1: yeah. So cooking yourself isn't even that cheap, and then yeah. going out to eat is also. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> not the most pleasant experience. Was in, <laughs> there was there is great food, great food in the UK, but I think for like generally living, I, th- I preferred. Um, the, I, I've retained the German palate. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so then, after
0: um, being there for a few years, you just kind of were ready to go back home.
1: Yeah. Also because um, I I kind of knew that I didn't want to live in, in the UK for the rest of my life. And I would uh, decided that I wanted to study law. And if you study law in a country, you're very right. jurisdiction focused. And then it's very difficult to go work in, in Germany with a UK law degree.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And vice
1: versa. Mm-hmm.
2: And speaking of law, this would be a good opportunity for you as well to maybe plug your own YouTube channel that you have. <laughs> it's focused on law. So maybe you could talk about some of the, some about that as well.
1: So I have a small YouTube channel uh, which in which I do um, German um, constitutional law. And uh, at the moment, it's just uh, German human rights. So if you ever wanted to know everything there is to know about German human rights, go to uh, lectures by Clemens Hufeld on YouTube. Cool. And you can watch uh, a 50-minute video on the freedom of religion in Germany.
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's actually um, a topic that we haven't talked about on the yeah, podcast you're right. yet. Yeah, you That would so, be a good topic. Yeah, if you guys are interested in that, we're going to link your channel down below, too, in the info box or in the podcast description mm-hmm. on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.
2: So you, you decided to move back to Germany, but what were some of... I'm I'm still mentally with you in the UK. What were some of the biggest culture shocks, besides just being away from your family, obviously, that you were confronted with um, when you moved to the UK?
1: I think the biggest one was, and the most immediate one, was the relationship to the Third Reich. Hmm. Um, because I think there was hardly a day in the UK where I didn't get a Nazi joke of some form. Oh, really? And uh, it's... I mean that would be that would have been unthinkable in Germany, mm-hmm. and like um, people doing a Hitler gross at you. Um,
0: they did that. People.
1: Oh yeah. Um, wow. Because it's it's a very different relationship yeah. to the war. Yeah, but that's uh, definitely
0: crossing a line for Germans. Yeah.
1: Definitely. Yeah, and I was I was really up really upset at the, uh, initially, but then I kind of ac- accepted it as mm-hmm. their normal their reality and mm-hmm. what they perceive as normal. Mm-hmm. And for them, because again, it's the thing. There's this foreign person coming at you, you are you are 13, 14 years old, they are 13, 14 years old. The only thing you know about their country and their culture so far, which you which has really been ingrained into your brain is are the Germans, they've got something to do with the Nazis. Yeah. yeah. And um, then um, at the same time you're you're put into this role as a cultural ambassador which mm-hmm. you didn't bargain for. But also you I mean this is the, it's the same for for, for every yeah. time you meet someone from a from a specific country but so but it's not it's not specific to that situation. But it's it it comes on top. And then you, at some point, uh, then suddenly you, you're you put into this situation where you're confronted with something that is uh, unspeakable for you, but also um, weirdly insulting, but you don't really know why. Um, and then the question is, do you say something or do you not say anything? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, initially I, I, I said, well, uh, please don't do that. But then at some point it's, you're... Uh, you're fighting against windmills because uh, are you going to go uh, I, I wasn't going to go up to every single person at that school and, and explain yeah. my relationship to the to the second world war to them yeah um so i'm i don't i don't think it's uh, that they meant it in in any way uh, i mean of course they were trying to make a joke yeah. uh, whether i just because i found the joke to be uh, out of taste doesn't mean that it reflects any uh, negatively on their personality mm-hmm. because they have a different cultural upbringing um so yeah, that was probably the uh, a big culture shock for me yeah i can
2: I can definitely imagine that I think those type of jokes would probably be somewhat more common in the u s as well like i mean we we use the term Nazi for people who are just strict in general, so i but I can imagine especially at your age that that would be very jolting and um yeah, big culture shock definitely,
1: and also it was, it was weird for me because um I had had uh, the Second World War in history in Germany, and I I also had it in history in the UK. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I I didn't really know why it bothered me so much. And I think it it took me a couple of years to to think more about it. And I think um, it's because um, there is a lot more, if if, if learning uh, learning about the Second World War in, in German schools, um, there wasn't ever, there wasn't ever this, this form of, uh, we are the bad guys. Um, but more like we were the bad guys. And there's this, this we is I think a, a formative element because mm-hmm. this, we includes me in that situation as well. Mm-hmm. And even though it was my ancestors, there's also this, uh, this, this element of finger pointing and saying, uh, this was you, but because it, because of the past tense, it wasn't me, but um, it's saying it could have been you. Mm-hmm. And um, I think in the UK, there's a lot of the, the same we going on, but it's uh, we, um, yeah, it's the, um, it's the vi- then we, bloody well be- we bloody well beat the Bosch back into their old Germany. <laughs> and then um, yeah. they're all very happy about it. Um, and so there's um, winner justice, not in the sense of uh, them teaching history differently. But winner-justice in the sense of uh, counting themselves to the winning party. Mm-hmm. And also when they say we did it, they don't mean it could have been us who were the Nazis. They mean it could have been, it could have been us who beat the Nazis. Yeah. And I think there's less sensibility for, uh, for the fact that uh, being a Nazi, like Nazis weren't monsters. They weren't different people than we were. They were like us and it could be us. And so I think there's less sensibility on the dangers of how close at any point a society is to to the brink of like going over the edge and becoming um, a fearful state. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, on that joyful note, no, <laughs>
2: Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're fine. No, I, I mean, those are definitely important aspects and insights into it. I mean, being from a country where we were we were victors as well, I think we fall into a very similar trap in the US. So it's definitely an interesting yeah. perspective.
0: I don't think I ever had that experience in the US because yeah. I the first time I came here I was sixteen and we definitely got like a few weird questions at that point, like of people just asking, so is Hitler still alive or things like that where you just know that they're not very very educated on that topic yet. But then when I came back at the age of twenty-two in college, I really didn't have to deal with any of that at all. So I was a little shocked when he said that about the Hitler grows. Yeah. yeah. I,
1: I think it's probably the a cultural thing and uh, the, the microculture there as it as it as in it being a boys school mm-hmm. uh, I mean 14 year old boys with boys school banter that they're, they're gonna say different things than uh, people in a in a in a, uh, in a college context yeah yeah exactly and I think most of them the wouldn't have said these type of things uh, by the time they went to university
0: exactly yeah
1: yeah that's that's a pretty big culture shock though for sure were there any others that that came to mind <laughs> yeah, I mean, a slightly more, a slightly less somber one would be um, how people say hi. Um, in Germany, it's uh, uh, you. You walk past someone, you say ah oh, hi. And, and in the UK, people will walk past me, past me, and go Clemens, <laughs> and just say my name and walk on. Really? <laughs> and then, um, and I and I, I was always expecting there to be a sentence that followed my name, and I was yeah. like, yeah, what? That's funny. And then. They were, they, they were like, what do you mean? Well, and I, was, I would say, well, what do you want? And then they said, well, I, was, I don't know, just saying hi. And yeah, that's, that's, it took me a while to catch on to
2: that. There was, I, I work with a couple Brits or have worked with a couple Brits. And one thing that was always weird for me to get used to was being greeted with, you all right? Because for an American, and there's, the, there's a linguistics term for it, which you might know, but to an American, the phrase you, are right, you all right, is truly a question like you don't look well like are you all right it, it's similar mm. to how we would just say how are you or how's it going um we right. don't actually expect a response but the 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 sentence or the question itself has lost its true meaning and is just a greeting so that was something that was it's weird a, it's a floskel
1: um, i don't think there's a good translation for floskel i've never found one
2: so I think that's all of the questions that we have prepared for you so far Clemen but do you have anything else that you that is that you're on the edge of your seat to tell us about of about your experience
1: oh let me think maybe that I think um, I mean having been to the uh, having had the the boarding school experience I think there's a um it's it's still a school and I think ninety percent of the people there they they don't really Realize that they are at a boarding school and they have lots of opportunities at their hand, and they—they, they, I think not, most people would do the same in any type of school they're in. And I think what the boarding school is really good at is giving people who who want to grab at opportunity a lot of stuff they can grab onto and then mm-hmm. do something out of it. And so I think that's it's a, it, it benefits people who have intrinsic motivation who are driven. But I don't think it does any better at making people driven than the school I've been to in Germany
0: mm-hmm. okay that's actually interesting to hear you say that
2: i mean that's yeah that's a that's a great perspective um if you don't have anything else to add, then, then I think we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Clemens, thanks so sure. much for for joining and letting us talk to you. It's been fun um, having a, an extensive conversation with you in English as well. I mean, we speak English every once in a while when there are people who, don't, who aren't around, but it's weird. It's still weird for me to speak English with you. So um, I'm glad that we've been able to have this bonding experience with the podcast as well. So thank you for taking the time. And I hope that our um, viewers also were able to pick something up from or our, our viewers and listeners, I suppose. Um, for, <laughs> to all of, I was going to say to all of you just listening <laughs> on the podcast version, um, like Feli said, we'll link to your YouTube channel for all of you German uh, juristen who want some, some help with their exams. He has some really good videos that are very informative.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for being on the podcast from my side too. Thank you
1: very much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: So thanks again for Clemens to be on today's episode. I think I've definitely learned a lot. I didn't really have the opportunity to talk to anyone who took that path ever before i don't know anyone from germany who went to england to do their high school diploma there so that was very interesting um let alone a boarding school yeah i mean i don't even think i know anyone who went to a boarding school in the us or in germany
2: yeah we had that whole topic in our in our um Patreon hangout that we did last month, um, yeah. which was funny because I feel like I know a lot of people, Clemens being one of them, who went to boarding schools. Um, but you
0: said, like, you know, a lot of Germans who did, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah I, d- I, don't I don't really know, really any know Germans or Americans. Yeah. yeah. It's, cr- it's crazy. It's definitely a very different, I don't know, like, vibe to it. As I said, like, mm-hmm. I kind of. Think about things like Honey and Nanny or other kind of cartoons or shows or fictional stories. Harry Potter.
2: That... Like I said in the, the episode two or the interview as well, like Harry Potter was one of the first things that came to mind, not only because of the UK, but also because of just boarding school. It's, yeah, it's and really like the houses too. Mm-hmm it's yeah. a really interesting like weird subculture so it was mm-hmm. I, we really i personally really enjoyed getting to hear some some of Clements' stories which we've talked about before but not as in depth so um only not only just to have him and be able to share this his experiences with you guys but also for me it was a really yeah. cool interview
0: yeah it's always crazy to have friends in this interview situation where suddenly mm-hmm. you get to ask all these questions that you usually probably wouldn't ask all at once because it'd yeah. be weird to just question them all night long for like an hour and a half about <laughs> yeah. their life but i mean i've actually learned a lot about your life too josh through yeah, and this likewise. podcast. <laughs> yeah. what, what
2: has been one of the things that you've learned
0: uh, that's a good question now you're putting me on the spot i can't really think of anything i just know that in a lot of cases i've been like oh i didn't know that interesting mm-hmm. i definitely a lot of stuff about your school too what yeah. we talked about last week um A lot about also your immigration process when you came to Germany because like yeah we would talk about it on a daily basis but it's not like I'm that interested in all the bureaucratic details yeah Um, so definitely learned more about that stuff too
2: yeah no I feel like a lot of the the impressions or the things that I know about Germany have come from our friendship and through this this podcast as well so it's it's been a fun fun experience for both of us I think um, just being able to produce this and talk with each other and then also bring bring our other friends in Um, yeah and then
0: also have all of you guys who are listening and watching right now to add things in the comments Mm -hmm. or also via email dm on instagram or in our patreon hangout sessions i actually have learned a lot there because there's people from germany who go there go there regularly, who join us regularly for those, um, but also people from the US, people from other countries, like, for example, a guy from Lebanon who's started to join us. So it's just very, very interesting to learn even through our community. So thank you guys for that. Yes,
2: definitely. And if you want to be kind of more involved in our community, the easiest way to do that is by leaving comments for us to read. We love going through your comments and learning about your experiences with the topics that we're talking about as well. So the best way for you to do that, for us to see it, is to leave a comment on our YouTube channel or on this video if you're watching the video version. If you don't want to leave a comment, though, in, in the comment section for everyone, you're welcome to send us an, an email. We have an email set up. It's understandingtrainstation at gmail.com. In addition to that, you can also message us on Instagram. Our Instagram is instagram.com slash Understanding train station or just look up understanding train station.
0: Yeah, we don't really post a whole lot on there No, um, we should probably post something. I was thinking I should I
2: I, I I was thinking about that. I should have posted something from my trip to Austria That would have been a, a good oh, idea. Oh Yeah, you can still I, do that. I could yeah, yeah
0: just do that um, but yeah besides that um, as we mentioned we also have a Patreon which is a place where you can support us monetarily and then also you're basically part of our Patreon family which means that you get to see our weekly bloopers and outtakes which I already know this episode is <laughs> going to have a lot of bloopers yeah. um, and then also as we said we have this monthly like Q&A slash hangout session via uh, Google Meets or Google Hangouts whatever mm-hmm. it's called um, where you can join us and ask your questions talk to us personally and then if you don't want to do that but you still want to support our podcast you can go to buymeacoffee.com and basically just buy us a coffee for five dollars or ten dollars and just support our podcast that way if you do that thank you guys so much we really appreciate it thank you and i guess we're gonna be back in two weeks on thursday
2: we'll see you guys in two weeks
0: yeah tschüss
2: ciao